All right, let's, uh, let's turn now to the Scriptures, and, uh, and I'll, I'll ask you this question, uh, and, and how does Christ tell us, how does Christ tell us we should listen to God's Word? I could barely hear that. All right, let's try that again. How does Christ tell us we should listen to God's Word? Amen. I'm, I'm constantly earnest about treating the Scripture as a literary document. One of the reasons I'm earnest to do that is because it unlocks a lot of treasure for us. We are in Mark chapter 7. Uh, Mark has a thesis. What's the thesis? You should all know this by now. Jesus is what? Jesus is the Son of God. He is, Jesus is the Son of God. This is in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what he has been doing, what he has been doing in the narrative is steadily advancing the argument, steadily advancing towards the skeptic and the cynic, steadily moving, uh, as it were, and piling up evidences piling up evidences of the brilliance of Christ's teaching, its insight, its novelty, its, its amazing power to perceive. He's adding up miracles and great things that are done. He's adding up, he has a herald named John. He, he calls people and they just drop everything to follow. He is, he is that kind of a leader. He is evidencing all of this unembarrassed supernaturalism. In this uh, last section, we had we began with the feeding of the five thousand, and then we went through a system. Uh, we went through the the the. the uh, um, we're going to we're going to next up, by the way, to the feeding of the four thousand. <laughs> and this bracketing in here, these events in here, which have been the calming of the sea. He's the one who calms the sea. The, uh, and who deals with the hypocrisy of the self-righteous, are all very Jewish. And this particular story we're about to read right here, right now, mirrors of story in 1 Kings. Oh, boy. I really, really cannot. 1 Kings 7, chapter 17. When Elijah went to the widow, the, Syri the Syrian widow at Zarephath, Jesus is in a sense walking in a way that those religious people, the Jews, would have recognized or ought to have recognized that there was, he was fulfilling, he was enacting, he was advertising, he was repeating very memorable events from the life of Israel, the life of God's people. Uh, feeding of five, feeding of by manna, uh, walking on water, they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, and now, Christ leaves Palestine. He leaves Israel to go out amongst the Gentiles. And he really is looking for a retreat. He's looking for a place to get away from everything. And it doesn't really work out. Now, um, the next 
The only other thing I want to say before we jump in is I wish, I kind of, I'm not wishing this, I'm not quite sure what to do about this, but this is, uh, you know the synoptics share a lot of stories back and forth. And there's been a lot of theories about whether Mark was the first one and then Matthew read that and Luke read that. And Luke says he used other, other sources and everything. But in Matthew 15, this is one of the only times we see this. In Matthew 15, the account is more vivid which is strange. It's much more, um, it's got more details. It's, got, it's, it's sharper. It's more offensive. And I think, when we know Matthew 15, Matthew was written in Aramaic. And Aramaic is a later form of Hebrew than the, uh, Masoretic, than the text of the Old Testament. Now, parts of the text of the Old Testament are Aramaic, Daniel and stuff like that. But, but uh, I think Matthew, as a Jew remembers this story very vividly because it's so, it's sharp. We're going to read it. It's sharp. It's, it's the, one of those stories that can offend you. Um, be amazing if I could offend you. That'd be great. All right, let's see if we, or if Jesus could offend you. Sorry. Let's, let's, let's hope I don't. Let's hope he does. Let's go to Mark uh, 7, and we'll read this story. I'm going to read, we're going to read a little bit before. Uh, of what he says about the heart of man, heart of people. And uh, I'll annotate it a little bit as we go along. And he called the people to him again and said, this is an imperative voice, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. That's a little bit odd because it's not a parable. They think it is. That's how little they understand. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? You hear the frustration creeping in here? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled Mark interjects parenthetically thus he declared all foods clean and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts now we're going to a list of 12 things after evil thoughts, six, the next six are in the plural, and the six after that are in the singular. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Stop. In Matthew, she's yelling 
Have mercy on me, son of David. She's yelling. She won't stop. Yelling. She's yelling. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, can we do something about this? And he, he's ignoring her. The text says he, he ignores her. And he says to the disciples, I didn't come here for her. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Mark uses the Greek word here for little dog, like a house pet. Probably to soften this a little bit, to get so you understand Christ is not deriding her. He is not mocking her. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. And in Matthew, he says, the only time in the New Testament Christ compliments somebody like this, he says, how great is your faith. All right, let's pray for Holy Spirit presence in this. Father, um, I pray for your presence with, with me, for me, for us, with us. We, uh, we need you. We acknowledge our need. I ask for um, you to come and uh, bring, bring the offense that we need in order to have life. Offend our sensibilities, our privilege, our politics, and our, and our personal uh, our personal lives. Offend us with the gospel, Father. I pray it in Christ. Amen. So I'm going to make, my, my thesis will be that uh, unless God offends you, he can't save you, and he won't save you. Unless God offends you, you don't know him. Unless God offends you, Unless Jesus offends you, you don't have any part of him. You don't know him. You know, these texts are, many, many people like to reject almost every text and story of the New Testament in order to try to get away from the thesis that they find untenable and intelligent men and women love to devour these texts and destroy them. This is one of those texts that was very frustrating because Jesus is so awkwardly mean that it smacks of something that nobody would have made up. Does that make sense? Nobody would have made this one up because he doesn't, He's indifferent, he seems, and he, he seems to have some, what is going on? What is happening? Unless Christ offends you, and the first thing I think he's going to offend, and I hope he will offend, are these antique, frail, feeble, childish images of God. 
that have nothing to do with his grandeur and his glory and his might and his power and his love and, his, and who he is. He plays no favorites. The judge of all the earth shall do right. Let me give you... This is always, we, we've always made the mistake of not identifying him this way. Uh, Joshua made the mistake of not identifying him this way. And, and so there's this moment, uh, there's this moment where, where, uh, where Joshua is leading the people of God. And, and he, it's early morning. And we know guards always shout and people always shout back and forth. Remember the whole, who goes there? Because he sees somebody. Uh, Joshua's leading the people of God and he sees somebody armed for battle. He goes, who goes there? Are you for us or for our enemies? And Jesus says what? Neither. But as commander of the armies of the living God, I have come. Well, I just said it was Jesus. I believe it was Jesus. Pre-incarnate, eternal, son of God. This is always Christ. You know, the indifference he has begins, I think, in one sense, uh, there's this, I, I was going to, I entitled this message, The Joy of a Misanthropic Grace. <laughs> but uh, the joy of a misanthropic grace. In other words, Christ begins this with, by first rejecting man's image of himself. And what does he say? What is it, what, how, does he first, how does he first appear to his disciples? They can't understand it. Because he says, you know what makes you who you are? I'll tell you what makes you who you are. I know who you are. You are the birthplace of every evil thing that has happened in the world. You are, each every one of you. You are the birthplace of your own woes and your own, and your own problems. You are the birthplace of sin. Everything comes out of you and me. It's kind of, if that's not offensive, you're not paying attention. That's extraordinarily offensive right now, right? Where we're supposed to respect, well, why doesn't Jesus respect me? I'm different than him. You know, isn't he supposed to, isn't Christ engages in no political correctness whatsoever about all people? Um, I, I noticed something kind of odd here. He talks like this. What's the implication when I go like this and I point at George? What am I saying when I point at George or if I point at Stacy, if I point at Strzok and say, you? Well, actually, there's an old saying that three fingers point back at me. You always be careful, you know? Whenever you point at other people, three fingers. You ever heard that before? Three fingers are pointing back at you. Christ in the way he says this, he's saying what? I am not a man like you. It's a weird distinction that's buried in the text. He is not like them. He is not like us. And the disciples are stumbling over. They can't understand it. And the religious leaders have come with arm. They want to tear them down, and they don't understand it. And the crowds are right, and then nobody gets it. Nobody, everybody's bewildered, even his own family. Nobody gets who he is, and he walks with this grandeur. And that is why, and he stands there, and then the woman comes begging, and he doesn't listen. He's nobody's plaything. He's nobody's toy. He's nobody's servant. And then he is. Oh, the first thing I guess I wanna, uh, I'm attracted to about Jesus is 
this. But this woman, she's awesome too. So she comes, she knows she has no right to come. You couldn't live around that day. No, if you're not a Jew, you're not a Jew. And if you're not a Jew, you're not a Jew. And you're not a Jew, and that's it. Sorry. You're not one of the chosen people. You don't belong. You're not a part of the program. You're not a part of the love of God. And so you are kept to sit outside, sit outside, and do not presume and do not imagine that you have a place or a position or any way you can come to the godly and to the righteous and to the prophet. And she comes anyway, even though she knows she has no right to come. And that is great faith. It's a faith, it's a faith, you know, we've been talking a lot about faith that comes out of zero. She has nothing, she has nothing, and she knows it. She had, but she first of all has no right to come, and she comes anyway. Um, um, one of the things we miss in, in the presence of Jesus himself, the presence of the Son, is that is itself the offer and gesture of God's eternal love. Bam! Just like that. And he stands this close to men like McLaren or to this and she has no right. First of all, she's a woman. Second, she's a Gentile. Third, it's weird, she doesn't have a husband for her. The text doesn't tell you anything, but there's a judgment there. And that culture there would have been. Fourth, you know, she's not even that good of a mother. Her kid's got a demon. What kind of a mother would let her kid have a demon? She has no right. But she's bold because she is sensed by the Holy Spirit the presence of love. I want to begin with this. So Jesus knows who you are and loves anyway. That's what gets me about this. You know, if you come to a point, if you will come to a point where you realize you're zero, you have no rights. You have no rights in the kingdom in and of yourself. But you can come to the presence of love and a love that knows. You know, when we sin, when we, when we, we, we do this, and we, 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 don't, we, 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 we say about the scriptures, they're not true all the time. So you'll sin, you'll see you'll screw up, you'll lie or something. And do you ever do this? you ever done this? Oh, I can't believe I did that. Anybody ever done that besides me? I can't believe I did that. What do you mean you can't believe you did it? What do you, what, do you catch yourself? Do you know what you're saying when you say, I can't believe I did that? I'm actually better than that. I don't do those kinds of things. Of course, I lust and covet and gossip and run around and squander my money all the time, but that's all, these are all surprises all the time. We're constantly surprised. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I... Believe it. Jesus knows who you are. The scriptures have accurately predicted you. They have accurately described you. They have uncannily seen through you. Everything you do is you, buddy. It's, that's, you're the one who did it. It comes from within. 
And it means you have no right to come to God. Oh, but great faith means I'm going to come to the one who knows me anyway and not be afraid. Um, there's been a lot of mystery about this because um, how in the world did she know? How did she know she could come? How did she guess she could? How did she guess she could? What's the second thing? She had no right to come. How does she come? How does she come? She comes humbly. She realizes she has no right, and she even surrenders her right. There is no way, this is where, you know, you, if God, unless God offends you, you can't know him. Unless God offends you, you won't enter his love. And God has said, you are a sinner ruined by sin, ruined by your wickedness, ruined by your own corruption. Come to me with that, and we can talk. And that's what she intuits. I, the Holy Spirit, somebody, and of course, give me my answer to my, well, how does she know she has, even though, she, even though she has no right, how does she know she come? How does she know to be humble? There's some instinct that's penetrated, some failure, who knows what her life story is, some place she's come to where she knows and she's banking and she's setting herself that if she can get her nose low enough, maybe he'll love her. Maybe he'll show, oh, that's so beautiful. There is no, no low pace you can go that God won't meet you in that beautiful place. You know, it's exactly, she is fulfilling. Maybe she knew some of the poems of the Old Testament, a broken and contrite heart, you won't despise, and whatever. And she comes and she's intent that if she humbles herself deeply enough, he'll He'll listen. And I say, yes and amen. That's an, instinct, that's an instinct from the Holy Spirit. Don't listen to this generation telling you you need a positive self-esteem. You don't. What you need is the wonderful worth that our Savior sets on people who are ruined like us. That's what you need to invest in. <laughs> he has set his worth. He has set worth on you and your ruin and wreck, knowing full well who you are, and has said, come, and come humbly, come Admitting you're a zero. You have nothing to bring. You have nothing to exchange. You have no warrant to be there to begin with. So by some weird instinct, the Holy Spirit, she knows although she has no rights, she can come. And she knows the way to come is to humble herself. What else does she seem to understand? Um, the, inter the interaction, uh, the interaction, the interaction. Uh, so she's asked for this. She's humbled herself. She's begging. She's, at a, she's face down. She, uh, she knows she has no rights, so she's come humbly. Matthew tells us she persists. She won't stop. We can learn from that as well. But uh, what I'm remarked, what I'm, what I'm amazed by is that interchange. So he says, shall we give to dogs what is sacred? Do we give to the children what is sacred? And uh, she traps him in his words. 
she traps him. Now, this, this woman must have been really, really sharp. Because she's really, really desperate. And she is outside of the kingdom in every sense of the word. And she puts it all on the line. I mean, she just literally, she is down. She is facing the dirt. He has told her she's a dog. And she says, okay, let me lick it up then. Let me just scrounge around for what's left over. Huh, that's enough. Because I know if I have even the slightest part of God's love, I have everything. Oh my, how does she see it? How does she perceive that? How does she... And Christ literally, and you know, I, I don't know, I don't think that many people surprised Jesus, honestly. I don't think that many people kind of went, whoa, you know, we know but not many people did. And in fact, he never even compliments one of the disciples as having great faith, but her taking his own words and saying, I, I have a right then to what's left over. And he's, So she has no rights. She comes in abject humility and she uses the word of God against God, contra God. <laughs> she uses the words of the Son of God and traps him. To me, this is the a path to renewal and faith for all of us. It's amazing to me that the, the God of the Bible and the God of the New Testament and Jesus is the one who says that everybody, nobody in this room has any rights when they come to him. It's the only way to come, having surrendered your rights and coming humbly. But having done this, having finally surrendered and realizing you're outside or have been outside or feel like you're outside or feel like you've been walking outside or how, how outside you've gotten. <laughs> and if you come humbly, because he knows who you are, he has known full well, you can use his word against him. You know what I was just thinking? <laughs> she probably would have made a really good lawyer. Right? You notice this? She's really, she's waiting and she sees the end. She knows she's come to a place for only the only place she can for her own child. And she sees the end in the way he's rejected her. He sees, she sees the end. And she has the instincts are right. The instincts she came even though she shouldn't have come. And she came in a way that nobody else, no people were not willing to do with her nose in the dirt. And she finally comes and she finally goes, aha, I see a way in. Um... I probably shouldn't use this illustration, but it just hit me. You ever, if you ever, um, and, I, and there's never good ones, but there's a funny scene in uh, Dumb and Dumber where um, Jim Carrey, the beautiful girl in the, in the movie, he says to her, what about you and me? This is the very end of the movie. What about you and me? Will you? And she goes, not, something like not in a million not a million to one, right? That's what she says. It's a million to one you could ever be with me. And he stops and he smiles and he goes, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Do you get that Jesus loves that response? Like he, he feeds on that kind of faith. It turns around and goes, wait a second, there's a promise that even if I have walked all the way outside the kingdom and I've been left and I've, my family's disintegrated and my kids are, and everything's going, and there's still a chance that I've run this far and I've been this distance and I, I've lost it. Didn't I lose my rights all the times I was ruined in sin and I ran away from God? And, and he's like, no. You see, no. Come to me in the cross. Come to me in my love. Come to me because he... He has reached to the uttermost to give us new rights, to use the word of God against him. Because that is the voice of faith. Having surrendered, it now says, yes, I've surrendered. I have nobody. I'm not afraid of that anymore. I'm not afraid of no because I, what I want and what I need from you. I've come humbly. And now I just say, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. You said whatever I ask. You said, you said it. So I'm looking for the answer. Where is it? Give me the wisdom, the insight, the bravery, the persistence, the joy, the humility, the alacrity, the clarity the, the, of, that, of an ancient woman, an ancient woman crying for a kid. It's amazing to me that she could stand up now after all these thousands of years and instruct us on faith, right? Isn't that wonderful? She could rise up and instruct us on what it looks like to know Jesus. Maybe she had read Joshua 5. I don't know. You know, the fact that God shows no favorites sounds scary at first. The God, fact that God, the way he appears to Joshua when he says, are you for me, or for us or for our enemies? And, and the commander of the armies of the living God says, no, as commander, I have now come. As commander of the armies of the living, I am utterly not on your side. I'm on my side. He's not partisan. He doesn't belong to Israel. He doesn't belong to Syria. He doesn't belong to conservatives. He doesn't belong to Democrats. He doesn't belong to anybody. He is himself. And that, that can look so scary at first when you come to it because you have to surrender so much and humble yourself before his words and his indictment. But you know what? If he shows no favorites, then it has to be true that he loves sinners and those who cry out to him. The thousandth time, the ten thousandth time, and the first time. That's what he said. Let's pray. Father, Father, who is like you? I mean, everybody we know, everybody we know plays favorites. And we have our favorites. And, And this woman just, the disciples are annoyed. And this woman comes and you ignore her. And you tell her that you were, you're this awesome, you were really, you're, you're on your own plan for, for what you're supposed to do. 
So we've come today to trap you in your words then. You said, I will give the Holy Spirit to every child who asks. Okay, give us the Holy Spirit. You said every sin will be forgiven the children of men. Okay, we got a whole bundle. You said you'll build your church. You said, you said, you said. It's what you said. It's not what I said. Father, I pray this week that you would bring us to a new place of faith and joy, a new place of certainty, a new place of joy and hope, even in the dark places of our lives and in desperation, in the places where we have seen what we are and, and understood it and grasped it. And we do come humbly. And we, we ask you to do things that we can't do. Make the cross beautiful and precious to us. Make your son beautiful and precious to us. For we pray it in Christ. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ uh, took bread and, and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you, take and eat, do this and remember me. He also took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink. Um, um, so often as you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes um, over the subject of the bread and the wine uh, it's not a place Jesus wanted to offend everybody if you remember but he lost a lot of followers when he talked about you had to eat his flesh and drink his blood it sounded kind of cannibalistic and weird much people took off Yep, unless Jesus offends you, you do not know his love. So, um, uh, so this table is here so simple. I think, you know, I think even the uh, Syrophoenician woman could have grasped this. If you have Jesus' blood and you have his body, you're healed. Your sin is forgiven if you come by faith. Some of you feel like you have no right to come to the table. I proclaim you to you the rights of everybody who comes by faith, however small. You don't have to have great faith to come here. You just have to have a feather touch of faith to open the gates of heaven. But even she would have understood, if you come by faith, he is your savior. He is your savior. If you come humbly, you can only come to this table admitting you're a sinner. So I welcome all those who are sinners who consent to the declarations of the Apostles' Creed as written in this part of our bulletin and as statements of fact in history and space and time as events, I invite you to come if your trust is in Christ and you're a part of his church, his community, his people, his bride. Come. But let me offend the way Christ wants me to offend. If you think you're a good woman, Esther, then you have no right to come here. Sorry. You think you're a good person. You have no right to come to the table. You don't even have a right, I think, to clean up the crumbs on the floor.
that Syrophoenician woman blazed away, it's for sinners who have humbled themselves, desperate for a Savior, and will use his words against him. You said you'd forgive me if I believed. Amen. Amen? Anybody want to use those words against him? I know I am today. Finally, if you're a skeptic and you watch these things with a, with a sense of detachment and uncertain as to whether you believe them, hey, that's fine. That's, we, we get that. I'm fucking, um, I get that. So watch, watch us, and perhaps some way you'll be enticed or curious to ask if you could know God this way. All right, let's uh, enter a time of organized chaos here. And um, we're going to stand and we're going to uh, do the Apostles' Creed together. And then um, as, we're doing the, as we're doing the Apostles' Creed, and it might be a little different, I, I, which I translate everything I can, um, which is annoying, but still you can, it's a little different. You read that as we come forward, and we'll uh, take the body and the, uh, the, the bread and the wine back to our seats, and we'll all eat together. We'll eat the bread and we'll drink the cup together. Then we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll end by singing the doxology, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, do a benediction, a word of blessing, a, whole, a word of glory, is what that means, a word of doxology. Uh, benediction is a good word, a good word of blessing on you all. All right, so um, let's stand. Christian, brother, sister, yes? Oh, thank you. Uh, you'll notice there's an arrangement here. Uh, the nine central cups are all grape juice for those who either prefer it because of taste or, or um, don't, don't, don't want to have alcohol. And these, are these little chips, these little crackers are gluten-free. I guess I'll hold this up here. All right. Tell me, Christian, brother or sister, what, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. So it's body, blood, wine, and bread, simple signs, so everybody can understand. So anybody can understand. And having given thanks, he said, take and eat. Do this and remember him. And then having, after the dinner, pour some wine, he said, take and drink. To the king. <laughs>